0: So I was gonna take a minute just to talk about a rare but extremely morbid uh, cause of stroke. Uh, so what are the subtypes of strokes that, that we see here? So ischemic and hemorrhagic. So epidemiologically, uh, or uh, based on sort of numbers, it ends up that 87% of strokes uh, in the most recent survey are ischemic strokes hemorrhagic would be the balance of those, and half of those uh, that are hemorrhagic are the subtype of stroke that I'm gonna be talking about, which is a subarachnoid hemorrhage. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, the epidemiology, uh, the etiology or the cause of subarachnoid hemorrhages, uh, the evaluation or the workup of subarachnoid hemorrhages, uh, the clinical presentation, including the complications, and then the treatment. So as far as epidemiology, uh, they represent half of the hemorrhagic strokes uh, at the same time in terms of morbidity and mortality they are equivalent to ischemic strokes uh, because they tend to uh, affect young people and they, uh they tend to be much more morbid so it ends up that about 50% of people who have uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage uh, have permanent disability and about a quarter of those patients die so in terms of presentation, uh, what's the what's the most common presentation? Worst headache of life. So over ninety percent of patients uh, who come in with subarachnoid hemorrhage, that's their presenting chief complaint. Other uh, associated features could be uh, due to mass effect or uh, uh, due to so so that the classic there is a unilateral dilated pupil. It could due to embolic effect. So they actually can present like an ischemic stroke with a unilateral focal neurologic deficit. Uh, Classically, uh, they would have uh, some bulbar symptoms and some neck pain. In terms of the workup, what do you see us ordering as far as evaluation? So head CT. So especially within the first six hours, uh, the newer scanners are considered uh, basically 100% sensitive. After that time period, uh, or if your uh, index of suspicion is extremely high, Uh, a lumbar puncture uh, could be done. There are some evaluation strategies that utilize CTA uh, or even MRI or MRA. Uh, It ends up that aneurysms uh, that are at risk for rupture are generally seven millimeters or greater in size, although that's not a hard and fast rule, and aneurysms that can be detected on a CTA are about three millimeters or larger in size. So you see that a a CTA generally would be sensitive uh, to pick up an aneurysm that's at risk for rupture. In terms of the natural history of the disease, what are the things once, you know, they are diagnosed that that you see as complications once they get admitted to the intensive care unit? Seizures, right? So seizures, vasospasm, herniation. So and then the other big one is re-bleeding. So seizures, relatively straightforward to manage. They get seizure prophylaxis. Um, as far as uh, rebleeding, bleeding uh, it ends up that there's a 20% incidence within two weeks, uh, and generally it's sort of sequentially uh, where one or two percent bleed per day uh, for those first two weeks. The dreaded issue with the re-bleeding uh, is that uh, it increases your risk of subsequent vasospasm. Uh, so as far as emergency department treatment, uh, the mainstays of treatment are blood pressure control. Um, do you guys know what, what agents we use, what our target is? Cardine, right. So there's not great data uh, to suggest uh, that cardine is better than say labetalol, uh, but it is something that's generally utilized because it's more easily titratable. Uh, it ends up that uh, there's only Two uh, level one uh, uh, recommendations that the AHA, uh, ASA, uh, uh, puts out for management of subarachnoid hemorrhage and targeting the blood pressure, uh, usually, I mean, the, the evidence is generally for less than 160. In general, it's less than 140. Um, that's, that's one of the recommendations. The other is to use nimodipine, uh, an oral calcium channel blocker, uh, which uh, prevents uh, vasospasm. And then uh, as far as sort of prognosis, uh, I mean, as we talked about, 50% end up uh, having uh, permanent disability, 25% die. The single greatest predictor is their presenting mental status. It ends up that there's a classification system, but basically if you present lucid in general with uh, maximal medical therapy, uh, you should recover. Uh, Whereas if you present uh, with lethargy or comatose, Uh, Even with the best interventions, uh, you will uh, likely end up with disability or death. So hopefully that gives you a perspective. I have a quick uh, picture here, uh, which gives you a sense of uh, where those aneurysms occur and what they look like. It ends up at the base of the brain. There's a vascular structure called the circle of Willis. Here it is magnified. And here at the apex, there's a saccular aneurysm. They're generally uh, assessed uh, based on sort of the width of the stem. If they're wider, they're fusiform. As far as sort of definitive treatment, once they get admitted, uh, they either are candidates for endovascular coiling or surgical clipping. Uh, And it depends on largely the configuration on angiography. You could imagine if it has a narrow base and it's amenable uh, to uh, the operative approach, uh, uh, namely more anterior uh, than, uh, I'm sorry, if it has a wider base and it's anterior, it's generally something that they go in and clip. uh, Whereas if it has a narrow base and it's located more posteriorly, so less amenable to a neurosurgical approach, then that's where they go for endovascular coiling. So hopefully that gives you a perspective on Relatively rare but extremely morbid uh, cause of stroke uh, gives you a sense of the clinical presentation and the complications that can surmise some of the treatment interventions that we undertake in the emergency room and how sort of our neurointerventional radiologists and neurosurgeons make a decision on definitive treatment. Cool. Does so anyone have any questions? All right, rock on. <laughs> sure. All right. Thank you, everybody.